This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Hi there, welcome along to this podcast and we took a look back at a little bit of musical history, an event that really had the world talking back in 1985 when Bob Geldof and Midjour put together Live Aid. I was joined by guitarist Kel and we took a look at some of the standout moments from this staggering musical event. Enjoy the podcast and join me live on the show weeknights 8 through 10 right here on Dubai I 103.8. You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is The Night Shift with Mark Lloyd. On Dubai Eye 103.8. Welcome back into uh, the show. Now, music is something that we love to talk about, of course, and uh, every so often we get guitarist Kel, who really knows his music inside out, to come and have a little chat with us about an album, maybe it's about an artist. And a couple of weeks ago, Kel, we were talking mm. about status quo. Welcome along, by the way. <laughs> nice <Hi>. to see you. <laughs> How you doing? Uh, we were talking about status quo. Yeah, and I think... Uh, and it was it was such a fun show to do because as we said at the time it's like even if you don't like their music once you hear it you can't help but kind of get involved and I think that spurred the idea of List because they opened up without a doubt I think one of the most famous uh, multi-band concerts it's up there with Woodstock isn't it yeah Yeah, it's um, it's, let's hear this is the clip that I played on that show this is the uh, lead guitarist Francis Rossi um, talking about this particular gig. No, nothing has eclipsed that. And I don't think it can. You have to remember what the world was like and what England was like, particularly at that point. And we were off for some reason that summer, which is unusual. We bumped into Bob Geldof being at the same record company, Rick and I. What we were doing in there, I don't know. And he was trying it on. We said, go away, Bob. You. And within a week or so, we were there again, which again was weird. And he said it and asked us again. And uh, he said, yeah, we need one of you older bands to commit. I subsequently found out he said that to all the older bands. And I said, look, Bob, we're not getting on. We're under-rehearsed. He said, it doesn't matter what you sound like. And so we kind of agreed to do it. Rick and I did a lot of the promo. The other thing, too, you get, oh, everyone's egos got involved. Who wants to go on first? And so we said, we'd gladly go on first. Get on, get off, you know, before the problems begin. And when we walked on, that's when him and I looked at each other and went, ah, I get it now. And I think that happened with a lot of the, the artists, that we suddenly realized that Mouth Almighty had got everyone galvanized and pushed. So it was a unique feeling in the audience that... It wasn't the normal quid pro quo they've paid to ex- with an expectation. They felt to be part of it. I've never felt an audience like that before uh, and still haven't since. And there's some euphoric audiences you get, but nothing like that one. Nothing like that one. Of course, he's talking about being the opening band at Live Aid. Yeah, and what a way to start. They started with rocking all over the wells, and you can just... I mean, it, it kind of sends tingles down my spine when I just think of the visual of that them starting it's such a powerful song it's the quo everybody right from that was just boom yeah away we go so this was um back in 1985 where yeah. were you when live aid happened <laughs> it's one of those things and, I, and i've had this with people of uh, a similar age to me we always talk about where were we yeah. during live aid it's like kind of one of those seminal things and i remember i was i was 15 back then um, but I remember being really excited because U2 were playing. I was a huge U2 fan. Okay. So I literally, I was at home with the video cassettes 
really annoyed my mum and dad because I'm like I'm watching all of this <laughs> and I'm taping all of it and uh, yeah I, even to today I can like the standout things for me were obviously status quo U2 was amazing which we'll talk about and obviously Queen yeah um, where was I 1985 I just arrived in Dubai in June uh, so I've been here about three weeks um, when this uh, monumental gig happened um, of, of Live Aid. So I was still kind of trying to get used to this brand new country <laughs> that would become my home for 30 odd years. But I'd literally been here just two or three weeks when uh, Live Aid, I remember watching it in the hotel room. Uh, I've got another little clip before we get into a song. Now, this is Midget Your, of course, alongside Bob Geldof. Uh, made all this happen and uh, here he is talking about the first time that he'd heard about the famine in Ethiopia. I was doing a television show in in Newcastle um, called The Tube. Uh, I was up there performing live and The Tube was co-hosted by Jules Holland and then the very young Paula Yates uh, who was Bob's girlfriend and I was chatting to Paula. I'd known her for years, known Bob for years and the phone rang and it was Bob at home you know, being a house husband, uh, bemoaning the fact that uh, his band were kind of on the way out and he had just seen this documentary, this footage on the news, uh, the BBC News. Uh, it was the first footage we had seen of the famine in Ethiopia. And he said, I want to do something. Will you help? And uh, and I kind of said, well, I'm busy, Bob. I haven't seen this. I don't know what you're talking about yet. <laughs> so, of course... And we met up a couple of days later, whereby, I mean, the world had seen the images at that point. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, and the two of us came up with the idea that if we got a number one record over the Christmas period, the charts freeze, the BBC charts freeze. And uh, if you get number one the week before Christmas, that means it's there for the mm. week before it, the mm. week off Christmas, the week of New Year and the beginning of January. And you can sell twice as many records at the number one position uh, over Christmas as you can any other time of the year. Major then talking about when he became aware of the famine in Ethiopia when uh, Bob Geldof called him out. I think Bob <laughs> Geldof was pretty much calling everybody at that time, wasn't he? <laughs> yeah, he was. He was uh, and this was all put together in 10 weeks as well. And I think up until week five, no one had actually signed up for it. Yeah. But he, he was, he'd phone Elton John and kind of go, well, who are doing it? So you've got to do it. And then he'd phone <laughs> Roger Daltrey and go, well, Elton's in, so you've got to do it. <laughs> so he convinced everyone to take part in it. I mean, so many great bands. Uh, we're going to squeeze in our first song um, right now. Um, we've both chosen two apiece from Live Aid. Um, what made you go for you two? Yeah, well, this one at the time, I was, I'd was i been playing guitar for a, for a few years. You two were like the band, like the biggest band. And at that time, they they were biggish, but not the, the phenomenon yeah. that they are now. And this really kicked it off for them. And I remember watching it and even watching it live. And there was a bit between their second song, because everybody had a limited space of time. Yeah, yeah. Bono jumped off the stage. He pulled a girl out from the crowd and he was dancing with her. And, um, and it was funny, interviews with the bands after, because there was such a distance. They're like, something happened to him. Has he hurt his leg? Do we carry on playing? <laughs> <laughs> and they carried on playing, and it became very, very famous. He ad-libbed a bit. So they didn't get to play their third song. Now, this is, for me, is one of my favourite all-time U2 songs. And I was so excited to see it live. But this is Pride in the Name yeah, of Love. Yeah. By the way, anybody out there listening that was at Live Aid, we would love to hear from you on 4001. Let us know what your experience was. You too, Pride in the Name of Love. Come 
So there we are, you two, and Pride in the Name of Love, the song that never got played because Bono decided to jump into the crowd. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's a few great stories, of course, coming out of Live Aid, which we're going to be coming up with more. You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is The Night Shift. On Dubai Eye 103.8. Welcome back. I'm joined by guitarist Kel, and we are looking back to the year of 1985 and the 13th of July, when probably the most famous gig ever uh, took to the stage. We're talking about Live Aid. You've got a few stats for us, Kel. Yeah, for Live Aid, the, the event, it's, it's some staggering numbers. So there were 72,000 people attended at Wembley in London, uh, 90,000 at Philadelphia. There were 13 satellites that beamed it to an estimated audience of 1.9 billion Okay, <laughs> 150 nations. So, so it's estimated that nearly 40% of the world population saw it. It raised $127 million for famine relief, and it holds the record as the most watched uh, television special in history. Yeah, amazing stats there. But, of course, before the actual Live Aid concert, um, there was Band-Aid. Um, yeah. That, that was the first thing that Bob yeah. Geldof and Midjour put together. And, it, you know, it brought together all the big stars of, of the day, of the 1980s, um, yeah. to record this song. Um, and here's Midjour once again just talking about, you know, the experience of recording Band-Aid. Bob had spoken to, to the artist direct, you know, yeah. I'd spoken to the artist direct. You know, we'd never spoken to an adult who might write down the date and time and address <laughs> of where it was actually happening. But there, lo and behold, they all turned up, and it was just magnificent. Yeah. And and the thing that you can't get your head round now is the fact that, of course, none of them had heard the song because there was no way in those days of playing them mm. something. You couldn't email them a track. You couldn't no. send them an MP3. It didn't exist. So yeah. they all turned up not knowing what they were turning up to put their name to. They knew the concept, but they didn't know the content. Incredible. I mean, the likes of Lisa Stansfield, um, George Michael, you know, um, uh, Bono, uh, all there. And, and, and as you say, you know, literally um, flying on the wings, not knowing quite what they were going to sing. Yeah, but uh, and, and also the, the dread, and I can, maybe only an artist can think of this, uh, the intimidation of having to stand there in front of all your peers <laughs> on a Sunday morning, you yeah. know, at 10 o'clock and start singing a song you'd never heard before in your life. Yeah. It, mildly cringeworthy <laughs> you can imagine can't you, you go yeah. on you go first you, you sing that first line now you know there were many standout performances in uh, this particular uh, gig of of live aid and one of them was was phil collins who literally went the extra yeah. mile he did them both <laughs> yeah the extra mile times about i don't know four hundred thousand, i think but yeah, I think he he definitely performed more than anyone because he had his own set. He started in London, yeah, uh, and he and he um, performed with Sting, uh, done his stuff, and then there was a very famous trip from Concord over to play in Philadelphia. And an interesting thing off of that is he actually uh, on that flight he he bumped into Cher randomly enough and told her what was going on. And then she ended up coming into the finale in Philadelphia. Oh so, wow! Yeah, so that was that was crazy. But um, he did he did his own set. Um, but when he was in the states, he also did. He played with Eric Clapton. He played with Led Zeppelin, uh, and I think he did a few others. So I think they um, they got their money's worth out of his playing. And, they did, and, yeah. And he yeah. was the the drummer on on the original single as well. And apparently he did it in one take. One, so the band I think just one take. And it was done. Yeah. And, um, and of course, you know, he, he must have had a little bit of jet lag because he probably played the most famous ever wrong note. Have a listen to this. You're the only one who really knew me. 
it all. <laughs> so if you're ever going to play a, a wrong note, do it in front of all those people watching TV. Um, yeah, what a moment for Phil Collins. But yeah, here's, here's him in full flight with Against All Odds. song phil collins of that famous wrong note that he played <laughs> at um, at the live aid gig i mean many a performer would freeze and um yeah. think oh you know I, I can't go on but he's cool as a cucumber yeah right and, it, and he couldn't turn around and look at the drummer and kind of go oh well it was his fault because he was just <laughs> him on the keyboard him on his own on the keyboard yeah yeah i mean a few things went wrong didn't they during the who set was there a, a warning light that started flashing yeah this this is a great story so there was two things that happened one of the things the generator went down so halfway through uh 
um, Don't Get Fooled Again, I think, it, the, the thing suddenly cut. And then there was another one, because they all had warning lines, because it's supposed to go to a strict timing. And uh, Pete Townsend just kicked, kicked <laughs> the timing light off, so they ended up playing for another five minutes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, also, um, Hall and Oates, um, they were Mick Jagger's backing band, apparently. Yeah, that's not bad, is it? Yeah. And he did that um, that wonderful performance with Tina Turner, who came on to guest as well. But uh-huh. uh, I think that was the thing. Everybody wanted to get involved. Uh, egos were checked at the door, and they're like, "Whoa, okay, I'll, yeah. be, I'll be your backing band. I don't mind. And Elton John was um, knocking up a barbecue, wasn't he? <laughs> yeah, yeah, backstage. <laughs> apparently, he, put, he popped on a chef's hat and started uh, getting behind the grill to do a, a little bit of barbecuing. Uh, amazing, amazing <laughs> stories. So, I think I'll squeeze in um, another song. Your second song that you've chosen features two absolute megastars in David Bowie and Mick Jagger. Yeah, and this is um, this is a lovely story because what they initially tried to do, because Jagger was in the States, Bowie was in the UK, and what they originally said, it would be really cool if they could do a duet live at both places but logistically and with the satellites there was too much of a delay yeah so what they ended up doing one night mick jagger managed to get back to the uk and in the middle of the night i remember this they just kind of went to this kind of outdoor place done the video and it came out the next day and um and it was it was a massive hit it was a shame that they wasn't able to do it as, as a duet uh but the video is really funny because i don't i don't know if you remember the video but they're kind of clowning around and dancing around and mm-hmm. it's really really good fun and uh, yeah that's dancing in the street by Barrow and jaggy
Well, yeah, David Bowie and Mick Jagger, they were dancing in the streets at the Live Aid gig. I'm just reading another headline. Apparently, David Bowie gate crashed a wedding reception at a cricket pitch that was used as a staging area to ferry stars in and out to say, sorry for the noise. <laughs> <laughs> An English gentleman, as, as always. Definitely. Uh, we'll come back uh, with uh, more from, uh, once again, the gig that we're looking f- uh, at, probably the most famous of all time. I think it's up there with Woodstock and uh, Live Aid. It happened on the 13th of July back in 1985. This is The Night Shift with Mark Lloyd. On Dubai Eye 103.8, the UAE's number one talk radio station. Welcome back to the show. We're looking at uh, that historic gig back in 1985. Live Aid, what a gig it was. And people remember where they were when they watched this particular or two particular concerts around the world. And uh, the funny thing is, you know, not only was there 1985, but Bob decided he was going to record um, the Band-Aid tune again 30 years on. Yeah, that's right. I think it's it's kind of legacy, but the, the reasons that he's done it, it's it's an ongoing issue. And I think because of the legacy of it and afterwards, there, there's there's been a lot of other charity concerts, but nothing really holds... The, the hugest of what Live Aid was. And I think at that time, it's like, OK, it's, it's time to refresh it and, uh, and do a new one. <laughs> Here he is talking about some getting a new generation of musicians together in the studio. So I called the young guys, the new young kids, Sam Smith and, you know, um, Ed, 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 Ed and Rita and those. I had, you know, I'd never, I had a clue what they did, <laughs> never heard them, you know. Um, but I got their numbers and... Um, in fact, much <laughs> completely unlike in 1985, they all said, yeah, yeah. God, they said, God, it's so weird, like, you know, talking to you, like, I'm so familiar with your voice. And then said, and then said, we had to do this every Christmas in the Nativity play, you know. Right. So, yeah. so it was really weird for them. Yeah. And, um, of course, Bono came to the party as ever and Chris Martin, you know. So that gave us the old guys. And... Um, uh, I really love Elbow as a band. I think right. Guy Garvey's a fantastic writer. And I thought, oh, God, they're going to be heavy Mancunians. Yeah. He was the sweetest guy ever. Yeah. And so that gave us sort of contemporary rock and roll. I asked Jake Bug, and Jake said, oh, yeah, great, Bob, when is it? Then his manager said, oh, Jake, you just spoke to Jake, he's doing bad. I said, yeah, yeah. He said, no, he's not. And I said, well, why? And he said, he's in South America playing Rio that night. <laughs> ah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, th- there, was a, there was a lot of... Uh, Trina Freud, but you know, when One Direction, um, I called Harry because yeah. he's a friend of uh, my kid, you know, and he was in LA and he said, No, we'd definitely be there, Sir Bob. He kept yeah. calling me, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so uh, then his manager rang up and um, they said, Look, the only day they've got off in three months, the only day is this Sunday or Saturday, whatever it was. I said, Right, okay, we're doing That's it that day. day. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So he managed to get them all together and back in the studio again. And of course, that yeah. was uh, Band Aid uh, 30 that they uh, recorded. But I mean, you can't take a look back at this historic concert without mentioning Queen. Well, I think that's the one that everybody speaks about. And it's, it's beyond the band being top of their game for this particular performance. And I think before that, what was interesting was they hadn't really been they, they they hadn't split up but they'd kind of been on a bit of a hiatus i think yeah. their career every, the music scene had kind of moved from yeah. how big they were in the 70s and um so but they took it really really seriously and they went right we're just going to do the hits and they spent three days rehearsing at the shaw theater in london and freddie mercury is quoted to saying 
we probably did have a bit of an edge because we'd spent years and years and years playing stadium gigs. But what was interesting, you'd have artists which would do their new single or promoting what they currently have. Yeah, yeah. They didn't. They just went, right, big hit, big hit, big hit, big hit. And the whole set has yeah. just become a, a huge thing within itself. Yeah. And I mean, of course, it was replicated as well in the in the movie. Yeah. Bohemian Rhapsody, when Rami Malek did an incredible job of uh, playing Freddie Mercury. Yeah, Queen, Live Aid, well, goes hand in hand. I paid my dues Time after time I've done my sentence But committed no crime And bad mistakes I've made a few I've had my shelf and kicked in my bed But I've come through Freddie and Queen and uh, We Are The Champions. What a performance that was. And, and yeah. Freddie Mercury just had that crowd in the palm of his hand. It's incredible. When when you think of all of the artists that were playing, who, huge, huge artists, I think, out of everyone, the moment he came on, everybody was just enthralled by him. 
and he had the, like the cliche of the audience in the palm of his hand, but he really did. And everything came together for them as a band. They sounded phenomenal. They picked the right songs, and he was up front, kind of going, "Right, we're all together. We're doing this." <laughs> and the late um, Radio Gaga, you know, when he yeah. had the whole audience doing that. Oh, send, send shivers down my spine. Yeah, I would love to have been a fly backstage and, yeah. um, you know, find out what Elton John's cooking's like as well uh, on, on that. But, yeah, an incredible historic gig in Live Aid. Kel, thanks so much for joining us and having a chat about uh, about a great gig. My pleasure. Thank you. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.